It's Monday, January 6th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. Tensions with Iran continue to escalate after the U.S. ordered a drone strike, killing Iranian General Qasem Soleimani. Now, Iran has signaled that they will no longer abide by the Iran nuclear deal, and the Iraqi parliament has passed a resolution calling on the U.S. to expel troops from the country. Both sides have vowed to retaliate if anyone makes a move, with the United States targeting 51 Iranian sites and Iran pointing to 35 U.S. targets. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us for more on this and why you don't have to worry about a draft if World War III starts. Next, to lighten up the mood, we will speak to Elahe Izadi, pop culture writer for The Washington Post, about the 20 defining comedy sketches of the past 20 years. While these sketches might not have been the best or the funniest, Ilahe identifies some of the top comedy sketches that held a prominent place within our culture. There are a few criteria in place to help narrow down the list, but it all starts with a little more cowbell. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. We're going to respond against the actual decision makers, the people who are causing this threat from the Islamic Republic of Iran. President Trump has been diligent about that. He doesn't want war. He's talked about this repeatedly. He is a reluctant participant in this, but he will never shy away. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thanks for joining us, Ginger. Thanks for having me. The tensions between Iran and the United States are growing exponentially right now. There's people bracing all over the place. You've seen memes on the internet, you know, World War III, what's going to happen? The latest that's been going on right now is that we're getting word that Iran has said now that they are no longer going to stick to the deals of the nuclear deal. And the Iraqi parliament has also called on the U.S. to expel troops out there. I think we have some 5,200 troops out in the area and they want us to take everybody out. That's right. Tensions have been growing in that region for a while now. And the decision by President Trump to order the killing of a top Iranian official seemed to have just made it go even more so quickly escalating. All of this is happening very fast. But we do see now, as you mentioned, a number of responses directly to President Trump's decision to have uh, General Soleimani killed, including The Iranians saying they won't abide by the Iran nuclear deal, of which the U.S. had already tried to pull out of, but the European partners had remained in. The U.S. saying, President Trump saying that he would attack Iranian cultural sites. And then the Iraqis, who were sort of caught in the middle of this, where the actual fighting has been waged, voting on Sunday, asking that all U.S. and all foreign troops leave their country. As you mentioned, Iraq is kind of in the middle with this. That Iraq is really where the attack took place, where the United States killed the General Soleimani. Before the U.S. and Iran had been trading a lot of threats, you know, a lot of big talk, nothing so specific. But now we are getting a lot more specific. Uh, the United States has said that they have 52 targets. Iran says that they have 35 U.S. targets, including Tel Aviv, uh, that that they could be targeting if things do continue to escalate. Ginger, take us a step back and tell us how we got here. I know we know that the United States ordered a a drone attack on General Qassam Soleimani, but what was the reasoning behind that and what's kind of developed from it? General Soleimani, one of the top military officials in Iran, had been involved in the, the organization of what are frequently described as proxy troops. So not Iranian troops, but troops that appeared to be or were clearly fighting on behalf of the Iranians in Iraq. 
they believe U.S. intelligence, the U.S. officials have said that Soleimani was directing existing attacks that had already happened, such as the attacks we saw last week on the U.S. embassy in Iraq, as well as plotting and planning future attacks on U.S. personnel, troops, and contractors, such as in the case of the embassy, and that this was done to stop his further planning to escalate against the United States. Now, critics of President Trump say that this was a bit of an extreme response by President Trump, that other presidents in the past had been presented with the option to kill General Soleimani, but that fearing that it would escalate very quickly if that option was taken, they had opted for other choices. The White House and this administration defending this decision, saying it was absolutely necessary to stop him. Um, So this was sort of the result of a bit of words, as you said, being exchanged between the two, but an increase in what um, is often described as this proxy fighting that was happening in Iraq. And Secretary of State Mike Pompeo was hitting the Sunday talk show saying that we're getting away from that and we're going to start targeting the decision makers. The New York Times has a report also saying that the president always gets a lot of different options, military options to handle whatever situation And that the Soleimani option, they figured, was a more extreme option. But after the president seeing what was going on at the embassy and and the protests, that he said, no, we have to go for this. We have to start targeting these guys. And Soleimani was the first one. That's right. We generally believe President Trump to be pretty adverse to military escalation. He has opposed increases in military presence before. He's been pretty open in his desire to get troops out of Iraq and Afghanistan. So I think it probably caught a lot of people off guard knowing that about President Trump, that he would take what was viewed as the most extreme option and the option that presented the most risk of escalation. It does seem we are closer to any type of conflict that we have been in, you know, in recent times, just with these different escalations. Both sides are, as we said, have specific sites that they're targeting. I'm sure a lot of people have seen online on social media tons of memes about World War Three and are people getting drafted. I think a lot of the memes revolve around like, hey, this is me and my friends showing up to Iran after being drafted. Google searches for terms such as conscription selective service and Iran spiked uh, after all this news was coming out. People didn't know what was going to happen. So the big question is, will there be a draft? Uh, I know a lot of young people who are very unfamiliar with this kind of thing or or might be a little nervous or just unaware of what's going on. You can uh, definitely clearly see that this conflict has permeated the American consciousness and has generated a lot of nervousness about what will happen next. To be clear, the United States hasn't had a draft in a long time. It was the Vietnam War was the last time Americans were conscripted into the military. So we are unlikely there yet. Also keep in mind that Congress would have to authorize a return of the draft. It is not something a president could do unilaterally. There is likely very little appetite in Congress to do so. We have seen a, a bit of uh, troop downsizing in the last several years with the, the Iraq and Afghanistan wars turned down. So there's quite a bit of people who are on reserve that could be activated before you would need a draft. And I think it's important for people to remember that we're still a long way from a war. Congress would have to approve it. And while it's very clear that people are nervous about this and there's uh, and, and handling it in all kinds of ways, including making funny memes on the Internet, uh, we're not quite there yet. And, and, a, and a little bit ways to go before we get there. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Let me do it. 
doing myself a disservice and every member of this band if I didn't perform the hell out of this. Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. Joining us now is Ilahi Izadi, pulp culture writer at the Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Ilahi. Thanks for having me. This is a very fun story that you wrote up. The 20 defining comedy sketches of the past 20 years. Sketch comedy has changed a lot from its inception, even from the 90s with SNL. I mean, SNL has been around for so long. In Living Color, one of my all-time favorites, and even the early stages of Mad TV. So we're going to run through some of the sketches that you highlighted in your story. But let's start off with some ground rules because these aren't always necessarily the best sketches or something like that. There's uh, some specific criteria you use for this. What, What do we know about that? Yeah, that's right. Um, so I set out to make a list of 20 defining comedy sketches. So by defining, it doesn't necessarily mean the best or even ones that are particularly funny. Comedy especially, tastes can rapidly change. What you found really funny and incisive 10 years ago is very dated now, for instance. So that wasn't the criteria necessarily. So, you know, some of my favorites may not have ended up on the list, so it's right. not necessarily my favorite ones or the ones that I think are hands down the best. But I was trying to present a landscape of how our culture has shifted and also how sketch comedy as a genre and a medium has shifted. So through these sketches, they either had to demonstrate or exemplify our comedic sensibility during the past 20 years, or these sketches help propel forward some sort of change, whether it's social or technological or how the craft of comedy and sketch comedy has evolved. Or they were sketches that sort of permeated our collective psyche, spawned catchphrases, or altered how we thought about certain things. So it's kind of a nebulous description, but that's how I approached it. My ground rules are they had to be televised in some form. So I didn't go to like Vine or YouTube videos. (laughs) There's a lot of comedy out there on those platforms. So I'm thinking televised sketch comedy. There had to have been some sort of script aspect to it. So late night talk shows, for instance, have a lot of what could be considered sketches, but a lot of it involves improvisation, interacting with other people, and you don't know what their response is going to be. And I stuck to American comedy. The Brits have a lot of great sketch comedy, so I, I didn't look to that just to kind of narrow it down. Yeah, and you really have to. I mean, you open up something so broad like this. We'll be here for hours talking about all the funny things that are there. But I love the criteria. I, I love the list. There are some, just like you said, some that maybe I didn't think were necessarily so funny, but I remember in retrospect, some of my friends just cracking up completely to it and saying some of these catchphrases for months to come. So I totally agree how these are set apart in some way. So let's run through the list and have some fun with it. The first one that you started with was More Cowbell in 2000. This was an SNL sketch. And I just remember this one being one of my all-time favorites. Here's a little bit, a little clip, and then we'll, we'll talk about it after. I gotta have more cowbell, baby. I'd be doing myself a disservice and every member of this band if I didn't perform the hell out of this. Guess what? I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. Now, this clip had a lot of stuff. It had Will Ferrell in his prime, I think. It had Christopher Walken. I got that fever for more cowbell, you know. It was just a great sketch altogether. But why did you put it on the list? 
And I should also note, these aren't presented in any particular order. But yes, this is kind of sets us up, right? Because it came in the year 2000. And it sort of stood out to me as an example of a sketch that went viral before the concept of going viral was a thing. This was before social media, before YouTube, before there was a way to share instantly these snippets of comedy from television. And somehow everyone kind of knew about this catchphrase, this joke. And it's so persistent. There are still people like putting on their dating profiles. <laughs> I have a fever and the only prescription is more cowbell. Like people still find this very funny. It is kind of a timeless piece of comedy. It's also just so bizarre because it comes out of nowhere. Um, it's not topical, but it is one of those jokes you just might imagine like someone sitting around being like, why is there so much cowbell on this song? And it sort of spawned this thing and, and Will Ferrell's performance in it, his shirt kind of creeping up his belly, which your listeners aren't going to be able to see <laughs> through the radio, but right. that's kind of one of the elements of it. But yeah, it was so sticky in our culture and it's still around. I remember going back to work or school after the weekend when it aired, and I just remember everybody saying, did you see it? More cowboy, more cowboy. It's like, yeah, it just stuck with everybody so much. So yeah, I agree. One of the best sketches I've seen. Let's uh, move on uh, through some of these. SNL obviously has a lot on this list because they are the longest running sketch show. But one, another one you highlighted was Lazy Sunday with Andy Samberg. And this one is interesting because it demonstrated sort of how technology has adapted and how television and comedy adapted and changed with television and it created new things. Because the thing about this sketch, which it was a music video, hardcore beat and lyrics that were presented kind of hardcore, but the premise was very sweet. Like, oh, we're just going to go watch the Chronicles of Narnia at a movie theater with our <laughs> <Right>. cupcakes. <laughs> um, it, you know, it's very catchy. It's very infectious. But this was at a time when TV was still being made with just TV in mind. So the idea of putting your TV content on YouTube was like, TV was still trying to figure out what that might mean. YouTube was only a few months old when this came out. So this is the first digital short from the Lonely Island guys. And it became one of the first bits of comedy on television that found what they consider a second life online. So it amassed millions of viewers within days. And at the time, NBC was like concerned, wanted the clips taken down. There were pirated versions that went up. And then people started posting their own versions, which now is like something we're so familiar with, right? right. When something goes viral, everyone does their own parody. But this was like the first time something like this became a big thing. Um, even Michael Scott did it on The Office. So it was like kind of a meta parody there. So yeah, and it also was the predecessor to some of the other digital shorts that SNL has done, which have gone to win Emmys and also be nominated for Grammys. Right. Uh, okay, moving on a little bit. Chappelle Show. You have two on the list here, so we'll just kind of lump them together. Um, I have three, actually. Oh, three, is it? Okay, well, we'll just still yeah. talk about Chappelle, Dave Chappelle, yeah. just all as one. One of the funniest guys around, and he's kind of had a revival of late with his Netflix comedy specials also. But this is from when he had his Chappelle Show sketch show. And he talked about a lot of things. He had the Clayton Bigsby, the black white supremacist. He had the Charlie Murphy true Hollywood stories, which were also super hilarious. Here's a quick clip of one of those. I'm Rick James, bitch. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> and that's another one of the things that became such a catchphrase for a lot of people. It actually became a problem for Dave Chappelle himself. 
it's a catchphrase that to this day, I mean, the man can't really avoid. Um, he gets heckles with that. This happened in 2004 and he's still hearing it. And even like when he goes on vacation with his family, he had a bit in one of his stand-up specials many years ago about like Mickey Mouse coming up and telling him that. So yeah, that is true. It's a very popular catchphrase. It helped put his show on the map. And it also actually helped revive Rick James's career. You know, he had kind of not been in the spotlight, had not been very popular at the time. And he enjoyed like a resurgence at that time in popular culture and sort of a rediscovery of him. And it is a very like silly, funny thing. And I think it does demonstrate the sillier and more outlandish aspects of Chappelle's show. And the Clayton Bigsby one, as you mentioned, yeah, I mean, that's like a premise of a black white supremacist that's still like so ingrained in our minds that when Spike Lee did Black Klansman, which was nominated for Oscars last year, like he first heard that premise of a black cop pretending to be a white person who wanted to join the KKK. He's like, oh, are we just redoing that Chappelle show sketch? (laughs) (laughs) Another set of guys that made uh, multiple spots on this list, Key and Peel. For a while, they had just an amazing sketch show also. So they had a few Obama's anger translator. They had the teacher. Oh, I'm forgetting his name right now. Um, oh, the, um, Mr. Garvey. Yeah, Mr. Substitute Garvey, the substitute teacher. teacher. I think we have a little clip of that one. Let's play that, and then we'll talk about Key and Peel. Well, you better be sick, dead, or mute, A.A. Ron. Yeah. Oh, man. Why didn't you answer me the first time I said it, huh? Huh? I'm just, you know, I'm just asking, you know, I said it like four times. So why didn't you say it the first time I said a a Ron? These guys, I mean, these guys uh, were hitting it pretty good when they had their show going. Something I learned in doing this list is that sketch is Comedy Central's most viewed YouTube video. Wow. It has at least 175 million views and counting if you just like look at the public view counter. And they almost didn't put the sketch online because, you know, at the time they figured out which sketches from the TV show are we going to put online. They almost didn't put this one on. So just goes to show you kind of don't know what's going to take off. But this sketch is brilliant because it's a few things, right? It's a flip of a well-known construct. In this case, it's the well-known construct of a white teacher in any inner city classroom trope. Now you have this teacher who says he's from the inner city or he taught in the inner city and now he's in this mostly white classroom. And these names are just so ridiculous. And so it like provides that really nice like flip of point of view. And then also it is very universal because everyone has experience of having a substitute teacher. This is also like the perfect sketch to send someone who has one of the names he butchers in the sketch. So it kind of will always live on. Like if you have an Aaron or a Blake or a Jacqueline in your life, like they're going to get this sketch. I have a Blake at work and that was one of the first things we did when we started working with him. I wanted to end with Portlandia. They had a great sketch also. And for highlighting Portland, Oregon, and like kind of all the hipsters and everything that would be up there, I thought their show was very funny also. So here's a quick clip from Portlandia, and we'll end off with them. Hi, I'm Bryce Shivers. Hi, I'm Lisa Eversman. And And we we put put birds birds on things. things. Today we're going to go to a store on Mississippi Avenue. Nothing has birds on it, but you know what we're going to do? We're going to put birds on things. Spruce it up. Make it pretty. Thank you. Put Put a bird bird on it. it. (laughs) <laughs> that's another one that, you know, you for days after that or, you know, even longer than that, people would be saying, put a bird on it, put a bird on it. Right. You just saw birds everywhere after you saw this. right? And also, like, it's such a good example of the sensibility of that show. But also, like, you know, it's highly specific. Let's make a show based in Portland with all these like very particular characters. But somehow, like they were recognizable to everyone. 100%. And so. 
Right. And so it's like showing how to make fun of like these distinct, quote unquote, hipster habits. That's how I kind of thought of it. And yeah, like a lot of sketches are still very funny today. The list is great. I think you have links to all of these sketches. It's just a fun place (laughs) to have some fun. Look at some of these old sketches you might not have seen in a long time and click through everything. So it's very cool. Elahi Izadi, pop culture writer with Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. <laughs>